Hello, everyone. I'm Bob Kieser. This is the Son of Man Urantia Project. Today's episode is Chapter 41 At the Feast of Tabernacles. Jesus' plan was for him and the ten apostles to take the shortest route to Samaria. So they followed the eastern shore of the lake and went through Sephopolis to get to the border. Before sundown, Jesus sent Philip and Matthew to a nearby village over on the eastern slope of Mount Gilboa to arrange a place for them to stay for the night. These people disliked Jews even more than the rest of the Samaritans. And with everyone getting ready to go to the Feast of Tabernacles in Jerusalem, those feelings against them were stronger than normal. The villagers did not know much about Jesus and his mission. But since they were Jews, they refused to put him up for the night. When Philip and Matthew heard this, They got mad and told the villagers that they were turning away the Holy One of Israel. The villagers, in turn, ran the two apostles out of town with sticks and stones. Philip and Matthew made their way back to Jesus and the others. And after telling them all what had happened, John and James stood up and, going to Jesus, said, Master, we pray that you give us permission to ask for fire to come down from heaven to devour these rude and shameless Samaritans. When Jesus heard them calling for vengeance, he turned on the sons of Zebedee with a stern look and scolded them, saying, You do not know what kind of attitude you are showing. Vengeance is not part of the kingdom of heaven. Rather than get in a fight, let us go over to the village or that little village by the Jordan Ford. So, because of the prejudice against the Jews, these Samaritans denied themselves the honor of having the creator son of our universe as their guest for the evening. Jesus and the ten spent the night at the little village near the Jordan Ford, the place where people crossed the river. In the morning, they made their way across and took the Jordan Road to Bethany. They arrived there late Wednesday night, and then Thomas and Nathaniel, who had stayed behind to talk with Roden of Alexandria, showed up on Friday. Jesus and the apostles stayed around Jerusalem for about four and a half weeks, until the end of October. Jesus spent most of this time with Abner and his crew in Bethlehem, and he only went into Jerusalem for brief visits during the Feast of Tabernacles. The Dangers of the Visit to Jerusalem The apostles and others, had been wanting Jesus to take his message to Jerusalem, the center of Jewish culture, since long before they left Galilee. But they had been stunned when Jesus suddenly announced that they were going to teach at the Feast of Tabernacles. 
the Sanhedrin wanted to arrest him. And Jesus had just told them that he was going to be killed at some point. The apostles were afraid for his life. Before, when they begged him to go to Jerusalem, all he would say was, The hour has not come. Now, when they pleaded with him not to go, all he would say is, But the hour has come. During the Feast of Tabernacles, Jesus boldly went into Jerusalem on several occasions and publicly taught in the temple. He did this in spite of his apostles' efforts to dissuade him from doing so. Though they had urged him for a long time to proclaim his message in Jerusalem, now they feared to see him entering the city knowing full well that the scribes and Pharisees were bent on bringing about his death. The boldness that Jesus showed by appearing in Jerusalem confused his followers. Many of the disciples, and even Judas Iscariot, dared to think that Jesus had fled to Phoenicia because he was afraid of Herod Antipas and the Jewish leaders. They failed to understand the reason behind Jesus' actions. His presence in Jerusalem at the Feast of Tabernacles, even against the advice of his followers, worked to forever put an end to all of the whisperings about fear and cowardice. The Feast of Tabernacles brought thousands of people together from across the Roman Empire, many who heard Jesus preach. Others he taught in Bethany when they would come out to visit him concerning the growth of the kingdom in their homelands. Jesus got away with publicly preaching during the tabernacles for many reasons. But the main one was that there was now a division within the ranks of the Sanhedrin. A lot of the members secretly believed in Jesus, and many of them did not want to take the chance of arresting Jesus when he was surrounded by so many people friendly to him. One of the reasons Jesus could come and go without harm was that Abner and his group had been so successful gaining support for the kingdom throughout Judea, and Jesus' enemies did not dare to speak out against him. A month or two before this, it would have been a different story, and Jesus certainly would have been put to death. When they left Magadan, only the apostles knew that they were going to the Feast of Tabernacles. When Jesus began to publicly preach in the temple, it shocked both his other followers and the Jewish leaders. Jesus' boldness set back his enemies. It scared them, and they were not prepared for the challenge. Even though they made a few half-hearted attempts to try and arrest Jesus, nothing ever came of those efforts. They were so taken back by Jesus' unexpected appearance that they figured Philip, Herod and Tippus's brother, who was almost a believer in the gospel, had given him permission to do so. Jesus and the apostles left before they realized that this had not been the case. 
Although Jesus' disciples had not expected him to attend the Feast of Tabernacles, many of the people who came to Jerusalem did so, hoping that they would see Jesus teach. And they did, in Solomon's porch and other areas in the temple courts. These sermons were, in fact, the formal or official, if you would, announcement of Jesus' divinity to the world. The people were divided about Jesus. Some said he was a good man, a prophet, or even truly the Messiah. Others said he was a harmful meddler, leading the people astray with strange doctrines. While Jesus' enemies were afraid to denounce him around his followers, his friends were afraid to support him because they were scared of his enemies. But even those enemies marveled at what Jesus taught because they knew that he had never gone to the school of rabbis. Jesus' followers were not used to him making such bold assertions even when he was preaching to his friends. They were terrified whenever Jesus went into Jerusalem, and this increased daily as he explained his mission on earth with increasing strength. The First Temple Talk Jesus' first talk in the temple was to a large crowd where he was telling them about the liberty of the new gospel, and the joy that comes to those who believe in it. When a person interrupted to ask, Teacher, how is it that you can quote the scriptures and teach the people so fluently when I am told that you are untaught in the learning of the rabbis? Jesus said, No man has taught me the truths that I am telling you. And this teaching is not from me, but from God who sent me. If any man really wants to do my Father's will, he will certainly know this teaching, whether it's God's or whether I speak for myself. He who speaks for himself seeks only his own glory. But when I declare the words of the Father... I am seeking glory for God who sent me. But before you try to enter into this new light, should you not instead follow the light you already have? Moses gave you the law, but how many of you honestly try to do it? Moses said, You shall not kill, but still some of you want to kill the Son of Man. When the crowd heard these words, they started arguing among themselves. Some of them said he was mad. Some said he had a devil. Others said that he was indeed the prophet of Galilee that the scribes and Pharisees had long wanted to kill. Some said the religious leaders were afraid to bother him. Others thought that they had not bothered him because they now believed in him. After the crowd had argued among themselves for quite a while, one of the people stepped up 
and asked Jesus, Why do the rulers want to kill you? And Jesus said, The rulers want to kill me because they are mad about me teaching the good news of the kingdom, a gospel that sets men free from their oppressive ceremonies and religious traditions that they are determined to keep at any cost. They circumcise babies on the Sabbath, like the law says to do. But they want to kill me because once I helped a man on the Sabbath. They follow me on the Sabbath to spy on me and would kill me because at another time I decided to make a badly hurt man completely whole on the Sabbath. They want to kill me because they are well aware that if you honestly dare to believe and accept my teaching, their traditional religion will be overthrown and forever destroyed. And that will take away the authority that they have had all their lives since they persist in refusing to accept this new and more glorious gospel of the kingdom of God. And I am now urging every one of you to not judge according to outward appearances, but rather by the true spirit of these teachings. Judge rightly. Another person spoke up and said, Yes, teacher, we do look for the Messiah, but when he comes, we know that he will come in mystery. We know who you are. You have been with us from the beginning. The Deliverer will come in power to restore the throne of David's kingdom. Do you really claim to be the Messiah? And Jesus said, You claim to know me and to know from where I come. I wish you were right, for indeed you would find abundant life in that knowledge. But I am telling you that I have not come to you for myself. I have been sent by the Father, and He is true and faithful. By refusing to listen to me, you are refusing God who sends me. If you will receive this gospel, you will come to know Him who sent me. I know the Father, for I have come from the Father to reveal Him to you. The agents working for the scribes wanted to rough up Jesus, but they were afraid of the crowd because a lot of them believed in him. Jesus' work since his baptism had become well known to all of the Jews. As they stood around now, many of them remembered what Jesus had done and said among themselves, Even though this teacher is from Galilee, and even though he does not meet all of our expectations of the Messiah, we wonder if the Deliverer, when he does come, will really do anything more wonderful than Jesus of Nazareth has already done. When the Jewish leaders heard the people talking like this, they decided that they had to put an end to Jesus' public teachings in the temple. Most of these men wanted to avoid a clash with Jesus 
because they thought that he had been promised immunity by the Romans. It was the only way they could explain Jesus' boldness coming into Jerusalem. But the Sanhedrin was not whole, did not wholly believe that rumor. They did not think that the Romans would keep something like that secret from them. They were the highest law of the Jewish nation. So they sent Eber, an officer of the Sanhedrin, along with two helpers, to arrest Jesus. As Eber was approaching Jesus to carry out this order, Jesus said, Do not be afraid to approach me. Come close while you listen to my teaching. I know you have been sent to arrest me, but you should know that nothing will happen to the Son of Man until his hour comes. You yourself are not set against me. You are only following orders. And even those Jewish rulers think truly that they are doing God's will when they secretly try to destroy me. I bear none of you ill will. The Father loves you, and because of that, I long to see you free from the bondage of prejudice and the darkness of tradition. I offer you the liberty of life and the joy of salvation. I am announcing the new and living way, the deliverance from evil and the bondage of sin. I have come so that you can have life and have it for eternity. You want to get rid of me and my teachings that make you uncomfortable. If you could only realize that I am only going to be with you a little while. In a short time, I go to him who sent me into this world. And then many of you will carefully look for me, but you will not find me. Because where I am going, you cannot come. But all who truly seek to find me will at some point get to the life that leads to my Father's presence. Some of the scoffers said among themselves, Where will this man go that we cannot find him? Will he go to live among the Greeks? Will he destroy himself? What does he mean when he says that he will soon leave us and that we cannot go where he goes? Eber and his helpers refused to arrest Jesus. They returned to their meeting place without him. Then, when the Pharisees and chief priests scolded Eber because he had not brought Jesus back with them, Eber only replied, we were afraid to arrest him in the middle of the crowd because many people believe in him. Besides, we never heard a person speak like this man. There is something out of the ordinary about this teacher. You would all do well to go over and hear him. And when the Sanhedrin heard him say this, they were astonished and mocked Eber, saying, are you also led astray? Are you about to believe in this deceiver? Have you heard of any of the rabbis believing in him? Have any of the scribes or the Pharisees been tricked by his clever teachings? 
Why are you swayed by this illiterate crowd of people who do not know our law or the teachings of the prophets? Do you not know that such uneducated people are cursed? And then Eber said, Even so, my masters, but this man speaks words of hope and mercy to the people. He cheers the downhearted, and his words are comforting to our souls. Even though he may not be the Messiah of the Scriptures, what could be wrong with his lessons? And what about our law that requires fairness? Do we find a man guilty before we hear what he has to say? When the leader of the Sanhedrin heard this, he got furious at Eber and said, Have you gone mad? Are you by chance also from Galilee? Search the scriptures, and you will see that no prophet, much less the Messiah, comes out of Galilee. The Sanhedrin did not know what to do, and Jesus went back to Bethany for the night. The woman taken in adultery. It was during this visit to Jerusalem that the Sanhedrin brought a woman caught in adultery to Jesus and tried to trap him into saying something wrong so they could arrest him. Our record today of this event is distorted, and it suggests that when the scribes and Pharisees took this lady to Jesus, he handled the situation in such a way as to indicate that the Pharisees themselves were guilty of immorality. But Jesus was well aware that while the Jewish leaders were spiritually blind and intellectually biased in tradition, that they were still some of the most moral men of that day. The following is a more accurate account of what happened during this episode. It was early in the morning on the third day of the Feast of Tabernacles. As Jesus was walking to the temple, a group of men who had been hired by the Sanhedrin and who were dragging a woman along with them stopped Jesus in the road. The leader of this group said, Master, this woman was caught in the very act of cheating on her husband. Now, the law of Moses says that we should stone a woman like this. What do you say we should do with her? As said, these guys were trying to trap Jesus. They figured that there were three choices he could make. If he upheld the law of Moses and had the woman stoned, he would be breaking the Roman law that said that Jews were not allowed to execute someone without the Romans' approval. If he forbid them from stoning the woman, then he was putting himself above Moses and Jewish law. And finally, if he remained silent, they could call him a coward. But Jesus had other plans and their whole plot fell apart. 
This woman, who had once been beautiful, was the wife of a lower-class guy from Nazareth who had often caused trouble for Jesus when they were kids together. This man had married this woman and then forced her into being a prostitute to earn their living. That was why they were at the Feast of Tabernacles, to sell her sexual services to the many men attending the feast. He then made a deal with these guys hired by the Sanhedrin and betrayed his wife to them. They, in turn, caught her and her client in bed together and hauled both of them to Jesus as he approached the temple. A crowd had gathered around, and Jesus, looking through all of the faces, saw the woman's husband standing back behind the others. Jesus knew what kind of a man this was and that he was part of the plan against him. Jesus walked around the crowd and up to this man, and kneeling down, he wrote a few words in the sand. When the man read them, he quickly left. Then Jesus went back to the men holding the woman, and again he wrote in the sand. And when the men read his words, they also, one by one, went away. Then Jesus turned to the man who had been caught having sex with the lady. And for the third time, he knelt down and wrote something on the ground. And again, the man, after reading the words, quickly left the crowd. When Jesus stood up from writing the last time, the woman was standing, alone now, in front of him. Jesus said, Woman, where are your accusers? Did no man remain to stone you? And the woman, who had been staring at the ground, lifted her eyes up and answered, No man, Lord. And then Jesus said, I know about you. I do not condemn you. Go your way in peace. And this woman, Hildana, left her wicked husband and became a disciple of the kingdom. The Feast of Tabernacles The Feast of Tabernacles in Jerusalem which was attended by people from across the entire known world, stretching from Spain to India, was the ideal time for Jesus to announce the full gospel. This was the feast celebrating the fall harvest, so the weather was nice and people were camped out in leafy booths. Because of the weather, more people showed up for this celebration than usually did for the Passover held at the end of winter, or Pentecost at the beginning of summer. At last, the apostles saw their master boldly announcing his mission to the entire world of which they knew. The Feast of Tabernacles was the greatest feast of the year. During this celebration, any sacrifice not made at the other festivals could be made up now. This was both a vacation for the people and a religious ceremony 
where they made their offerings to the temple. It was a time for sacrifices, Levitical chants, solemn blasts from the priests' silvery trumpets, and people celebrating that they were Jews. At night, the temple was an impressive sight. It and the crowds of pilgrims brilliantly illuminated by great candabrellas or large chandeliers that hold a lot of lit candles hanging from the walls of the woman's court and many flaming torches on post lighting up the other courts in the temple. The rest of the entire city was also decorated except for the Roman castle at Antonia that looked down in grim contrast on the festivities below. And the Jews did hate this ever-present reminder of the Romans' yoke. Seventy head of cattle, representing the seventy nations of the heathens, were sacrificed. The ceremony of the outpouring of the water, which symbolized the outpouring of the divine spirit, came after the priest and Levites provided parade at sunrise. These worshipers walked down the steps leading from the court of Israel to the woman's court, accompanied by continuous blasts of the priest's trumpets. And then the faithful marched on toward the beautiful gate that opened the court of the Gentiles. Here they turned around to face west, repeated their chants, and then continued to march for the symbolic water. On the last day of the feast, almost 450 priests and the same number of Levite, Levites were in charge of the ceremonies. They started at dawn with all of the people coming together, each of them carrying in their right hand a bunch of myrtle, willow, and palm branches. In their left hand, they each carried a branch of the paradise apple known as the citron or the forbidden fruit. Then the pilgrims divided themselves into three groups. One band remained at the temple to attend the morning ceremonies or the morning sacrifices. And another group marched to Maza, outside of Jerusalem, to cut the willow branches needed to adorn the sacrificial altar. The third group paraded from the temple behind the water priest, who was the man carrying the golden pitcher for the symbolic water, out past Ophel to near Salome, where the fountain gate was at. After they filled the golden pitcher with water from the pool of Salome, the procession marched back to the temple. They entered through the water gate and went straight to the priest's court, where the priest with the water pitcher was joined by a priest with the wine. These two men then poured the wine and water into silver funnels that led to the base of the altar. When they did this rite, it was a signal for the crowd and the Levites to alternate, alternately chant all of the Psalms from 113 through 118, all the while waving their bunch of branches at the altar. Then they started killing the animals to eat that day as they repeated the psalm for that day.
On the last day of the feast, the psalm was the 82nd, beginning with the 5th verse. Sermon on the Light of the World On the second to last day of the feast, in the evening when the whole area was brightly brightly lit up by the hanging candle chandeliers and all of the fiery torches posted around the courtyard, Jesus stood up in the middle of everyone and said, I am the light of the world. He who follows me will not walk in darkness but will have the light of life. Believing you can place me on trial and daring to sit as my judges, you state that if I tell you about myself, that my words cannot be true. But the creature can never sit in judgment of the Creator. If I do tell you about myself, my words are forever true, because I know from where I came who I am. And where I go. You who would kill the Son of Man do not know from where I came, who I am, or where I go. You only judge by what you see. You do not recognize the realities of the Spirit. I judge no man, not even my arch enemy. But if I should choose to judge, my judgment would be true and righteous. For I would not judge by myself, but with my Father who sent me into the world, and who is the source of all true judgment. You say that the word of two reliable people can be accepted. Well, then, I am telling you these truths, and so is my Father in heaven. And when I told you this yesterday, in darkness you asked me, Where is your Father? It is true, you do not know me or my Father, because if you had known me, you would also have known the Father. I have already told you that I am going away, and that you will look for me and not find me, because where I am going, you cannot come. You who reject this light are from beneath, I am from above. You who prefer to sit in darkness are of this world. I am not of this world, and I live in the eternal light of the Father of lights. You all have had more than enough time to learn who I am. But you will have even more evidence confirming the identity of the Son of Man. I am the light of life. And everyone who knowingly rejects this saving light will die in his sins. I have much to tell you, but you are not able to receive my words. However, he who sent me is true and faithful. My Father loves even his erring children. And all that my Father has spoken, I also say to the world. When the Son of Man is lifted up, then you will all know that I am He, and that I have done nothing for myself, but only as the Father 
has taught me. I say these words to you and to your children, and he who sent me is even now with me. He has not left me alone, because I always do what is pleasing to him. As Jesus taught the pilgrims in the temple courts, many believed, and no man dared to lay hands on him. The Talk on the Water of Life On the last day, which was the main day of the feast, after the people had marched from the pool of Siloam, returned to the temple, and poured out the water and wine, Jesus, who was standing in the crowd of pilgrims, stood up and said, If any man is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. From the Father above I bring to this world the water of life. He who believes me will be filled with the spirit of this water that this water represents. For even the scriptures have said, Out of him will flow the rivers of living waters. When the Son of Man has finished his work on earth, there will be poured out on all flesh the spirit of truth. Those who receive this spirit will never know spiritual thirst. Jesus did not interrupt the service to speak these words. He addressed the worshipers immediately after they chanted the hallowed, the back-and-forth reading of the psalm, along with waving the branches before the altar. There was a pause at this point where they prepared to kill the animals, and it was then that the pilgrims heard the fascinating voice of the Master say that he was the giver of living water to every spirit-thirsty soul. At the end of this morning service, Jesus continued to teach the crowd, saying, Have you not read in the scripture? Observe, like water is poured out on dry ground and spread over parched soil, I give the spirit of holiness to be poured out on your children for a blessing even to your children's children. Why will you thirst for the ministry of the spirit while you want to water your souls with men's traditions? poured from the broken pictures of ceremonial service. What you see on the ground, what you see going around this temple is the way that your fathers tried to demonstrate the giving of the divine spirit to the children of faith. And you have done well to continue keeping these symbols, even to this day. But now this generation has received the revelation of the Father of Spirits, through the gift of his Son. And all of this will certainly be followed by the gift of the Spirit of the Father and the Son on the children of men. For those who have faith, this gift of the Spirit will become the true teacher of the way that leads to life everlasting, to the true waters of life in the kingdom of heaven on earth and in the Father's paradise over there. And Jesus continued to answer both the questions from the crowd and those from the Pharisees. Some of the people thought that he was a prophet. Some believed him to be the Messiah. 
Others said he could not be the Christ, seeing that he came from Galilee and that the Messiah must restore David's throne. Still, they did not dare to arrest him. The Talk on Spiritual Freedom It was the afternoon of the last day of the Feast of Tabernacles. The apostles wanted Jesus to flee from Jerusalem, but instead he went back to the temple to teach. He went to Solomon's porch, where he found a large group of believers in the kingdom, and he began speaking. If my words have taken root in you, and you want to do my Father's will, then you are truly my disciples. You will know the truth, and the truth will make you free. I know how you will answer me. We are Abraham's children, and we are in bondage to no one. How, then, will we be made free? And that may be so, but I am not talking about being physically oppressed under another person's rule. I am talking about the freedom of your soul. It is true when I tell you that everyone who commits sin is the slave of sin. And you know that a slave is not likely to stay forever in the master's house. You also know that the son does not stay in his father's house. In other words, the son will make you free. He will make you sons, and you will indeed be free. I know that you are the descendants of Abraham, but your leaders want to kill me because they have not allowed my words to influence and transform their hearts. Their souls are sealed by prejudice and blinded by pride and thoughts of revenge. I am telling you the truth that my eternal Father shows me, while these mistaken teachers want to do what they have learned only from their human fathers. And when you tell me that Abraham is your father, I tell you that if you are Abraham's children, then you would do the works of Abraham. Some of you believe my teaching, but others want to destroy me because I have told you the truth that I have received from God. But Abraham did not treat the truth of God this way. I notice that some among you are determined to do the works of the evil one. If God were your father, you would know me and love the truth that I reveal. Will you not see that I come forth from the Father, that I am sent by God, and that I am not doing his, this work by myself? Why do you not understand my words? Is it because you have chosen to become the children of evil? If you are the children of darkness, you will hardly walk in the light of the truth that I reveal. The children of evil follow only the ways of their father, who was a deceiver and did not stand for the truth, because no truth was found in him. But now comes the Son of Man speaking and living the truth, and many of you refuse to believe me. Which of you says that I am a sinner? If I then 
state the truth and live the truth that has been shown to me by the Father, why do you not believe me? He who is of God gladly hears the words of God. And because of this, many of you do not hear my words because you are not of God. Your teachers have even dared to say that I do my works by the power of the prince of devils. One person nearby has just said that I have a devil, that I am a child of the devil. But all of you who honestly deal with your own souls know full well that I am not a devil. You know that I honor the Father even while you would dishonor me. I am not looking for my own glory, only for the glory of my paradise Father. And I do not judge you, for there is one who judges me. Excuse me, for there is one who judges for me. It is true when I tell those of you who believe the gospel that if a man will keep these words of truth alive in his heart, he will never taste death. And right now, at my side, a scribe says this statement proves I have a devil because Abraham and the prophets are dead. And he asks, Are you so much greater than Abraham and the prophets that you dare to stand here and say that whoever keeps your word will not die? Who are you claiming to be that you dare to utter such violations against our laws? And to that I say, if I glorify myself, my glory is nothing. But it is the Father who will glorify me, even the same Father that you call God. But you have failed to know your God as my Father, and I have come to bring you together to show you how you are truly the sons of God. Though you do not know the Father, I truly do know him. Even Abraham rejoiced to see my day, and my faith he saw, and it was and he was glad. By now, a bunch of unbelieving Jews and agents of the Sanhedrin had gathered around. When they heard Jesus say this, they raised a ruckus and started shouting, You are not 50 years old, and yet you talk about seeing Abraham. You are the devil's child. Jesus was unable to continue this talk. As he left, all he said was, It is true when I tell you, before Abraham was, I am. Many of the unbelievers rushed out looking for rocks to throw at him, and the agents of the Sanhedrin wanted to place him under arrest. But the master quickly made his way through the temple corridors and escaped to a secret meeting place near Bethany, where Martha, Mary, and Lazarus were waiting for him. The Visit with Martha and Mary It had been arranged for Jesus to stay with Lazarus and his sisters at a friend's house and for the apostles to scatter themselves about here and there 
finding lodging in small groups. They took these precautions because the Jewish leaders were again getting bold enough to try and arrest Jesus. For years, Mary, Martha, and Lazarus would drop everything they were doing to listen as Jesus to listen to Jesus whenever he would show up to visit to them. After their parents had died, Martha took over caring for the house. So this time, while Lazarus and Mary sat at Jesus' feet, listening to him, Martha made dinner. Martha, it should be pointed out, was the type of person who was often distracted by a lot of needless tasks and who worried a lot about little things. It was just her nature. So, as Martha bustled about taking care of all of these little things, she became put out that Mary was not helping her. So she went to Jesus and said, Master, do you not care that my sister has left me alone to do all of the serving? Will you not come? And tell her to help me. And Jesus said, Martha, Martha, why are you always worried about so much and troubled by so many little things? There is only one thing that is important. And since Mary has chosen this good and needed thing, I will not take it away from her. But when will the both of you learn to live as I have taught you, both cooperating and refreshing your souls together. Can you not learn that there is a time for everything, that the lesser matters of life should not give way before the greater things of the heavenly kingdom? At Bethlehem with Abner The week after the Feast of Tabernacles, Scores of believers came together at Bethany and were taught by the twelve apostles. The Sanhedrin did not bother them because Jesus was no longer there. He was working with Abner and his crew in Bethlehem. Jesus had left the day after the feast and did not teach again in the temple during this visit to Jerusalem. Abner was making his headquarters at Bethlehem And from that central hub, many workers had been sent to cities in Judea, southern Samaria, and even as far away as Alexandria. Within a few days of getting to Bethlehem, Jesus and Abner finished their plans for bringing together the two groups of apostles. During the Feast of Tabernacles, Jesus had divided his time pretty much equally between Bethany and Bethlehem. At Bethany, he spent a lot of time with his apostles. At Bethlehem, he taught Abner and John's former apostles. And it was this intimate contact with Jesus that finally led them to believe in him. John the Baptist's former apostles were influenced by Jesus' courage going into Jerusalem to teach as well as by his sympathetic understanding during their private lessons with him at Bethlehem. These influences 
finally won over each of Abner's people to wholeheartedly accepting the kingdom and all that that implied. Before leaving Bethlehem for the last time, Jesus arranged for all of them to unite and join him in a united effort before ending his time on earth. They all agreed to shortly join Jesus and his 12 apostles in Magadan Park. And so, early in November, Abner and his 11 fellows cast their lot with Jesus and the 12 and worked with them as one organization right on down to the crucifixion. In late October, Jesus and his 12 apostles got out of the Jerusalem district on Sunday, October 30th, they left Ephraim, where Jesus had been resting for a few days, and they went west on the Jordan Highway, straight to Magadan Park. They arrived late in the afternoon on Wednesday, November 2nd. The apostles were greatly relieved to have Jesus back in friendly territory, and they never again urged him to teach in Jerusalem. Okay, everyone, that's it for chapter 41, the Feast of Tabernacles. Chapter 42, I'm not sure what it is, will be up in a few days. Defend Liberty. Protect the innocent ones. Get out there and find some way to serve man for nothing more or less than the sake of God. Bobby Keezer, out here.